Hello everybody and welcome to today's podcast discussing the topic of EPR digital transformation in the NHS. Uh, massive thank you to everybody for giving their time up this evening, really appreciate it. So we'll start off by going into in some introductions. Um, I'll go first, I know that you all know me already but I'm Emma and I work on the NHS team at Evolution Recruitment. We are a Crown Commercial Service Framework Supplier who deliver interim digital IT and tech talent into the NHS. Um, that's a little bit about me and my background. So I'm going to go on to you guys next. So um, Karen, if you want to kick things off and introduce yourself. Hi there, um, I'm Karen Mitchell. I'm a consultant chemical pathologist and I was involved in our trust implementation of EPR relating to pathology orders. Thank you, Karen. Asfin, round to you. So my name is Asfin Malik and my current role is the EPR Oricon lead for all the data for this field, NHS Foundation Trust, as well as Bradford Teaching Hospital NHS Trust. So we're two trusts with a share instance of Senna Millennium and I worked alongside Karen as well on the integration of um, laboratory into EPR and now work on all diagnostic orders. Perfect. Thank you, Asfin. And then round to you, Salman. Uh, hi everyone, uh, my name is Salman Tahir. I'm the Interim Deputy CDIO at Bradford uh, Teaching Hospitals. Uh, my experience of implementing EPR is actually with a different organisation, but I have encountered similar sort of issues over here at Bradford, but mainly I'll be talking from my previous experience uh, perspective. Bob, thank you very much. All right, well, we'll just um, kick off with some questions then. So um, first question I've got in front of me is, how did you approach the change in processes from paper to digital? So Asfine, we'll um, come round to you first. Um, so how did you approach the change in process from paper to digital? I suppose, I suppose there was a lot of um, engagement before we actually went live with uh, EPR. So there was a a lengthy period of time that uh, both organisations looked at their current workflows and what they do currently on paper, um, and then to see how you could digitise all of that paper into EPR um, and make sure that you know like you don't you don't lose some of the threads that you know, like you do when you pick up any kind of piece of paper. You know like there's lots of kind of information that can be recorded on paper, and how do you transform that? into an EPR system. Um, so there was lots of engagement with various trusts and departments, you know, within the trust, with various departments, you know, like making sure every, everybody's on board, um, everybody's aware of what uh, what we're trying to what was being what was trying to be achieved um, and moving that forward. So obviously you know, like with any kind of in, implementation of project of this size, there was it was it was a lengthy process. So it wasn't just a case of you know, like within six months we've transferred everything from paper and managed to kind of put that into a digital format and then going live with it. It's, it's, it's something that you have to um, work on, review it and re-review it. So there was lots of periods of time where you looked at something and then went back to it and said actually this didn't work, how, how are we going to change it, modification. So suppose that that's that's how that's the approach you need to take and making sure you've got all the relevant stakeholders involved. So not only about it's about getting department heads involved, it's about making sure that you've got people who are on the ground and doing the work involved in, in, in the process as well to make sure that you've like you've not missed anything because it's easy to 
just look at it from an operational perspective, but then when you actually put that on a you know, like front end user and how they're going to use the front end of, it, of an EPR, picking it up from paper and then put it on, onto a digital format, it's completely different, isn't it? So I suppose that's that's process you know, like how we approached it is you know, like picking it up from a high level and then going downwards and then putting it at floor level where you've got everybody who's involved in working at, on a day-to-day -day basis on front end and, and taking it there. Fab, thank you, um, Asfeen. Um, Salman, we'll move around on to you next on this one. I can see you kind of like nodding away, agreed with a couple of points there that Asfeen was making. Yeah, I mean, Asfeen made some very um, um, insightful sort of points there and they, they're kind of alluding to the, 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 the bigger picture. And the organisation I was working in at the time, we, we kind of stepped back. And what we did was we employed an overall sort of system view on on how we worked. So we took it as a, a change management exercise. So we, we did what's called business process engineering. So we looked at the start point of every process and the start point and the end point of every process. And then we mapped out what happens to the information as it goes through those processes where is it being created who's sending it where is it going to what purpose does it serve what information does it hold and and we mapped the end-to-end -end processes and then we designed the underlying architecture which in this case was the the database um, relationship the entity relationships and the database uh, table um, design so but we really sort of mapped out and engineered every process from beginning to end before sort of rolling out the EPR and then digitizing bits of information as we went along. We, we, we captured everything in advance and we had everybody validate what we uncovered. So as we went around from department to department, we would study how they worked, we'd watch how they worked, we'd get them to, to verify what we've noticed, you know, we joined in with them. So we became sort of a second pair of hands and went through the process with them. And, you know, we verified everything, double checked everything and then designed the system after that. So that, so to sort of roll back to the, uh, to the beginning and, and to sort of summarize, how did you approach the change in process from paper to digital? It's by um, engaging it as a, a change management exercise capturing all of the uh, all of the flows and all of the information then designing that into the EPR before rolling it out and then having it tested and accepted. Thank you Salman um, and Karen round to you. Thank you um, yeah I certainly agree with uh, points from from both Asfeen and Salman from a pathology point of view what we um, uh, started looking at is what was the value of the paper that we were using. Obviously, we get lots of paper request forms and it turns out that um, they really just accompany samples and most of the time end up going in a bin. So um, similar to what Salman mentioned is you, you capture what information is that piece of paper doing or what is it utilising and then seeing what the digital system is going to do, whether um, that's all captured in that one digital system or whether there is um, an extra process in another digital system that you need to utilise um, to capture extra things. 
um, and certainly uh, so my background being biochemistry within blood sciences for certainly for inpatients we don't have paper request forms um, but within microbiology we found that there was a separate use um, that flowed around the laboratory processes and we're in a process uh, still ongoing of trying to take some of those elements out so it's certainly um, looking at what is the value of the paper workflow and that was replicated uh, in other areas um, within the the order comms team so we worked with uh, it was pathology radiology and pharmacy and just trying to actually learn from other areas as to how they approached that change to taking out bits of paper and, and actually having other people outside the department questioning what of the, what is the role of that bit of paper where where is the value of that Perfect. Thank you, Karen. Um, has anybody got any other kind of points that they would like to add to that question before we move on? Yeah, I think it is important to uh, to understand the, the sort of background into why you're going digital uh, and to understand the benefits that digital bring, which is basically um, availability and accuracy. You know, we're, when we go digital, what, what, what we're doing is we're trying to remove that element of human error you know pieces of paper going to the wrong place the wrong pieces of information being filled in the wrong form even being used and then going back and you know having to be done again so when you set the context and you're setting the criteria then it's easy to measure the end results against uh, and to decide whether that particular change has been successful or not perfect thank you salmon um, OK, moving on to question two then. Um, so that was, are there any staff groups slash processes that resisted slash not engaged with the change to EPR? So Salman, I can, well, I can see you all kind of like smirking away there. Salman, do you want to kick things off on this one? <laughs> sure, yeah. I, the reason I'm, I'm kind of smiling is because um, I, I was overseas when we did this exercise and, you know, it's a very different culture where I was. Uh, it's, uh, it can be very authoritarian, um, but mainly things are really, really led by the very top people over there. So the easy answer for me is there was absolutely no resistance whatsoever. And having sort of joined Bradford, I found that there are some areas that still haven't been digitised but they're really chomping at the bit. They really want to be digitized because they understand the benefits that it brings, such as accuracy, speed, efficiency, effectiveness. And I, I for me, I, I've never kind of come up against any kind of resistance. It, it's always, well, when can we have it? You know, we want it now, give it to us now, please. Let, let's just do it, forget the design, just put it in place, we'll make it work. So there's always a lot of enthusiasm. That's that's good to hear, Salman. <laughs> um, Karen, what about you? So um, I think part of our the the um, thoughts that came across when you mentioned the question is that um, people are resistant to change. Actually, um, it's a question of is this system going to give me or do exactly what this nice simple bit of paper does that um, I've learnt over the past however long how to deal with um, if there are some groups who are very resistant to doing anything on a computer and therefore to say actually this entire process is going to be on this system even though there's lots of benefits and you can 
list lots of different things. It's just trying to get over that change uh, and accepting that instead of doing things at one, two, three, they've got to do it one, three, two. So, you know, doesn't change necessarily the time it takes to do it, but it's just relearning that process um, and trying to find the um, the, er the early adopters within a department to say, actually, this is how we could do it better. And this is the benefits that you as a staff group can gain from it, I think was actually quite vital. We've managed to find a few key staff within each area just to say, actually, how's this going to work and, and use them as the promoters of how that change would happen. Thanks, Karen. And a speed round to you. Can I just jump in there for a sec? Because yeah, absolutely. Karen made a really interesting point. Um, which triggered another sort of chain of thought in my mind. I mean, Karen, when you said that, you know, in, in, there was some resistance, or there was a, you know, you needed some more understanding where people were used to doing one, two, three, and now had to do one, three, two, seven, four, whatever, uh, and nail on the head. And and that's why in my previous answer, I said, you know, we we didn't hit that resistance because we went through that design at the very beginning with everybody. So we kind of used it when we were uncovering how they're working now and then designed how they will work with the new system. We got them to validate it. Essentially, they, they were designing it and then they um, we we kind of held their hand through that design journey. So we designed a process that they were happy with. So that that's how we overcame that resistance and those questions. Thanks, Salman. Um, Asfine, what would you like to add to this? Karen's just mentioned, but what, what I'd like to also say with a big bang approach where we went live with our EPR across the, the whole trust in one instance. And obviously with that, there were some departments that did get left behind, so they were still on paper um, or using other legacy PaaS systems. Um, so it was those departments that we looked at and revisited after we'd gone live that showed resistance because they were used to doing what they were doing and we'd gone live with an EPR system. This as well, if we if we could do what we're doing now outside of EPR, why do we need to move to EPR? So that's that's where that's the resistance that we I I kind of came across is where people were EPR was live, other people were outside of EPR. You've got some people one chomping at the bits to say let's move into EPR, but then you've got other people saying the complete opposite to say actually we're we're, we're happy where we are where we are. Outside of EPR, we don't need to change. And if we do change, it's all of this whole new process in terms of using an EPR for ordering, for vetting, um, not having pieces of paper in the department um, to go back to. Um, and it was that that was a resistance that I've kind of seen in various departments where people not not being the early adopters and such, and then gone back and said, well, we're okay where we are, but then all of a sudden, when they do move into EPR and kind of you've got them on board and showed them the benefits of what EPR will provide, they've actually said, oh, actually, you know what? Yeah, it does work better in EPR, but it's it's about engaging with them and putting them on that journey and letting them follow the journey rather than forcing it on them. Because if you turn around and say, well, no, you know, like, this is how you're doing it and you don't get the engagement, A, you won't get a... Uh, a digitized solution in your EPR which works for the department and it'll just fall down when you do go live with it. Whereas if you do work with them and engage with them and allow them to follow you on that journey and kind of steer them on the journey, but 
get them to make some of the decisions alongside with you. I think that's an important thing. Um, so you do you do see the resistance, but it's how you tackle that resistance and make them uh, follow a, a digitized solution within the EPR that you've got. Perfect. Thank you, Asveen. It's, it's interesting like listening to you all because like, obviously I've done a lot of podcasts. I speak to a lot of people that work in the NHS. It sounds like it's not necessarily resistance to like, EPR. It's like IT projects in general, isn't it? Like I think people, it's like a cultural thing. It sounds like people are very resistant to change in the NHS. Um, I mean, it's, it's weird because like, you know, using paper to me, like everything that I do is like so digital nowadays that it's, it's fascinating to hear that like, you know, people still use paper but then I went to the hospital a couple of weeks ago you know and I received a letter that the paper looked like it I don't know I don't even know where it looked like the paper had been from like it was so like it's so old-fashioned isn't it but it's, it's mad that you know some um some you know trusts still use paper it's mad but yeah again sounds like it's more of a cultural thing and like a lot of people are saying that you've got to bring like you say Asphine bring people on that journey you know with them the clinical staff with you know the IT working together and um, but I, I appreciate it's different because everyone's a little bit you know they bring something new and everyone's a little bit like oh what's this it's about yeah, selling point. it as well it's, yeah it's, you know if you, if you do if you sell it as an IT project people are going to say oh it's an IT yeah. project whereas if you sell it as a clinical solution and, and a workflow solution mm. it's different they don't they'll they'll be more you know like engaging with you if, if you sell it as, as as a solution for the department mm. Mm. you know what emma when i was your age i was promised a paperless future and now <laughs> now that i've hit 50 i've discovered that i'm actually part of the process and in and still trying to make it happen yeah <laughs> mad isn't it but, but that's the thing though isn't it you know like it, it is moving away from paper so by getting departments to use EPR we've kind of like gone to text messages you know like on, on people's phones and so rather than sending a letter you could send a, um, a text message mm. you could like using patient portals so people have got the patient portal where they can see their letters you know like electronically rather than receiving them but again it's not only selling selling it to departments it's about getting the departments to engage with their patients so that you could kind of get them on board uh, digitally as well. Yeah. And, and getting them to adopt like digital letters rather than paper to paper formats. Mm. Yeah, no, thank you, Asphine. All right, any extra kind of points anyone wants to add for, before we move on to the next question? No, fab, okay. Um, on to question three then. So question three is, what are the benefits of EPR for your area of work? So Karen, we'll start off with you on this one. So I think one of the key benefits, as Asfin has mentioned, is that we went with a big bang approach um, across the trust um, for um, pretty much everything. There were only a, a few minor areas that weren't, didn't have an element on EPR. Um, and so that meant that uh, from a pathology point of view, we had um, better information for, from a patient um perspective for clinical care. So um, within clinical biochemistry, we could actually provide um, more advice. Um, there's more information without having to pick the phone up and try and chase people or traits around the hospital. You know, actually we, we can have a broader picture as to what that patient information was. And certainly our microbiologists have found it far more useful. They've been able to um, utilize their time a lot 
better without having to again go up to the ward to try and find a drug chart to find out what the patient is on you've got the information to hand you don't have to repeat lots of questions um, and what we've um, been working on really is actually um, allowing um, our biomedical scientists to actually um, access the the relevant records when they've got some abnormal results to um, to actually get the the information back to the the relevant clinicians as quickly as possible because we're still finding uh, it hard for people to actually answer the phone. That's almost an outdated mode of communication at the moment. It's all through our electronic system. So um, it's uh, certainly revolutionised how we see the hospital from a pathology department. Thanks, Karen. Asfeen, we'll move on to you next. Well, benefits in the areas that I work. To be honest, you know, like I'm doing a lot of the build work and the back end, back office bit, kind of things I've come across. So obviously, you know, like it's when he's, it's about engaging with users and showing them what EPR is capable of as well and keeping them engaged. But obviously, when, when you get a change request, you know, like it's about helping that user and we're going through what, what they're asking for and then saying, you know, like, can we do it with an EPR? So, you know, like we, we're always getting change requests and it's it's about following those change requests through and working with the department. So it's interesting that Karen's just mentioned something about picking the phone and, and engaging with users uh, from about, you know, like from a lab perspective. But it's just got me thinking of, do you actually use message centers? So do they log into the patient's chart and send a message, you know, like on, on message center to say, you've got some abnormal results on this patient, can you please check them, as well as picking up the phone. So, you know, like, I don't, are you doing that, Karen? Is that what they're doing? No, they're, that's a step too far for them. I mean, uh, so I do. So, yeah, so I would certainly will use Message Centre for um, results, trying um, particularly referred tests that have come back that are abnormal. Um, we know that our system does file them into Message Centre for clinicians to see, but sometimes, um, again, because I know how it's built, if it's going to go to the wrong person because of how it was requested, then I just send a message to the, the relevant clinician involved to say, by the way, look at these results. Um, and actually they, they found that quite useful as well, just being able to have that communication within that patient record. Yeah, and, and just getting back to that, I mean, you're like using EPI, you know, like I mentioned it earlier about electronic letters, that, that, that would go out, I mean, obviously with departments not being an EPI, you know, like it's, it's cheaper for the for the for the trust to send out letters electronically using a third party um, supplier rather than you know like manually going and typing letters and then printing them locally on your local print and then putting them in an envelope. Obviously, it's efficiency within the departments as well. So that's I mean that's the work that we do. There's lots of different change requests that come through to us asking them to either add new functionality within um, a department or um, just generic changes. I mean, Karen's always sending an email here and there, you know, like to say, can, can we do this? Can you change this? Um, and, and just make improving, not only within the hospital, but you're improving patient care as well, you know, like making sure that you've got the right, the right information going to the patient's record um, and, and forming a complete picture for the clinician as well when they're looking at the patient's record with an EPR. Perfect, thanks, Asfeen. And Salman, round to you next. Yeah, like Asfeen, I'm back office. So the answer is there are no benefits <laughs> to me whatsoever. But having sort of driven through and been so sort of close to the implementation, 
uh, and followed the journey from beginning to end, I can see benefits everywhere. Um, so, uh, you know, on the front line, uh, we often refer to right patient, right place, right time, right treatment. Back office, we underpin that with right information on demand. So we really have to enable everybody. So if you, you imagine that all of the users of the EPR have got the most up-to-date and accurate information on demand, that's really where the benefit kicks in. So as uh, somebody is, uh, for example, a, you know, a, a GP or a consultant is treating the patient, they can update the patient record as they're treating them. And you know, the, the, he then decides, well, you know, you need a, an X-ray so he can order it online immediately. And instead of waiting around and waiting for the assistant to print off a request and then have the consultant sign it and then have somebody take that request to the X-ray uh, department to find out if they've got enough time to do it now and then come back and get the patient. You can do that. You can do all of that within a second. So you've gone from a situation of having to wait around for up to half an hour to having an immediate um, assessment and, and answer within one second. So you can make the request and in a second you can see yes, x-ray have capacity, we can send the patient now. So by the time the patient gets there, x-ray are expecting him they'll, or her and they'll see to that patient immediately, perform the x-ray and then the x-ray isn't available on the on the system immediately as well. So by the time the patient then goes back to the consultant, the consultant has the result in front of them. So the, you know that speed, uh, you know, and uh, improvement in efficiency and effectiveness is really what underpins the whole point of an EPR. Efficiency, effectiveness, you know, right patient, right place, right time, right treatment right data on demand. Perfect, couldn't have said it any better. <laughs> <laughs> Bam. Um, and again, anyone else got any extra kind of points on, on that question? No, fab. Okay, we'll move on to question number four. So this was a little bit more of a generic kind of digital one rather than EPR, um, but this one was, how do, um, how do you meet demand for digital transformation and how do we do it? Um, so Asfine, we'll come round to you first on this one. Um, so this, I mean, this is a tricky one, is it? So we, you know, we see we've got lots of requests that come through um, from various people. Obviously, we've got people who are, uh, are wanting to adopt the EPR in terms of like improving workflow within their department. But then you've got other departments that want to, um, you know, like they might have a have um, a system that's not um, integrated into EPR, so they've got these the results or whatever information they've got in an outside system that's not sending an update in the patient's record. So you know, like you've got lots and lots of different change requests. How do you meet that demand? You know, like what you know, like who do you engage to get you know, like people involved in saying actually let's do this before we look at the workflow design for the department? Is it important that we've got these results coming into EPR first? Or do we actually go to the department and look at the the, the result, you know, like improving the efficiencies within the department? I mean, I currently I've got three, four different mini projects going on at, all at once. So 
from trying to yeah, adopt um, integrating um, point of care results into EPR. But then we're also looking at looking at um, a department that's got issues with um, orders. So as Salman was mentioned, where you could place an order, it goes down to another department instantly, and they could just pick it up and say, well, we've got this patient and we need to follow this examination through because it's really urgent. Um, and obviously, you know, like if, if you've got a department that's not quite efficient way, they manage to pick those up. You need to, you, you need to look at that urgently as well. But then you all, you've also got a very thin team. So your, your team's lean, you've got all these projects going on, you need to manage them. It's about incorporating every, all of them and keeping everybody happy. And so you know, like it's about making sure that you've got not you know you don't drop any balls basically when when you're juggling all of these all of these different projects at one time thank you Osveen. um salman round to you next yeah no, that is a, a really interesting one and some interesting points made there by Osveen. Uh, being in the nhs the bottom line um is always well what is the bottom line and that's funding that there is a, a lot of demand for digitization. And you know, you, you can only really make that demand if you've got appropriate funding and then appropriate resource in place to build those systems. Uh, and when I say systems, I don't just mean digital systems. I mean the way we work, the way we do things from beginning to end. You, it takes um, more than a, a computer programmer, an analyst, uh, and an EPR specialist, you, you need uh, people who understand processes uh, and how those things work. So um, you, you have, you know, what it takes really is identifying the right people in the right areas and bringing them together and then getting funding for that whole project. And that, that's really, um, you know the, the shortest answer I can give, and I'm afraid you know anything more than that, and I'll and I'll end up talking for for hours and hours and hours. So uh, I'll pass the baton over to uh, to Karen. Thank you, Salman. Um, I certainly agree with that. The um, I think I would add that um, we have um, lots of other uh, digital systems within a pathology department and. Um, we are actually quite a digital department, um, but they're all different systems. And so each time a new request comes in, it's a question of what is the best solution. Um, and um, obviously, uh, from a, an overall trust point of view, they want to try and minimise those different systems. So it's can EPR solve this problem for you? And if it can't, have we got an existing system without having to buy a new one? Um, and most of the time, the the projects that get to the top of the list that I uh, then certainly if it's EPR related to get us being involved with are the ones that um, have the the highest clinical need um, because there is a section of information that's missing from that patient record um, for a lot of the processes that we do within the department um, it's I suppose if if there's a quick fix it gets a higher priority if it's something that actually is going to take more resources, more money. Um, it does get to the to the bottom of the list unless there's a, the high, a higher demand. Um, but I think the only 
other thing I would actually just add to that is you need to have those people and there aren't that many of us around who understand that you can't just lift a current um, current system or current process and replicate it in a digital system you have to see how those digital systems can be applied to either um, improve it or just change it and, and make it work in a in a similar way but it will be different as I alluded to earlier it's not going to be just replicating it and trying to find um, the people with the knowledge on both sides is tricky um, which is uh, why I guess there are um, certainly locally a uh, few of us who have sort of been involved on this the side of trying to implement these projects but also have um, the the clinical and that sort of informatic knowledge to it as well. Fab, thank you Karen. Um, again any any extra kind of points on, on that one before we move on? No I think no. both made some really good points, really valid points there um, and it kind of you know we keep referring to previous answers and that sort of demonstrates how this all ties together is is that it, it it does involve so many different aspects of people, knowledge and resource. So, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting you mentioned funding as well. And because we're, because we're a shared instance across across two, two trusts, you know, like it's about engaging with both trusts. So sometimes it, it might be an instance where one trust is wanting something really, and then they're shouting and screaming for something that they really want. And the other one's thinking, well, well, maybe we could do without it for the time being. So it's about engaging and making sure you're not duplicating a workflow. So it might be a case of you've found the funding now for one trust and then do the piece of work then, and then you have to revisit it when the other trust has found the funding to do the same piece of work. So it's it's about a balancing act and making sure you've got everybody in the room and everybody on board, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah agreed, yeah. Um, sorry the, I mean, the only thing I'd add to that is um, the the interesting thing that we have locally with the two trusts is how one solution has um, it's been implemented but actually um, the use of it has diverged a little bit over time um, and um, with a project trying to um, just amend what we thought was going to be a fairly straightforward process has just um, highlighted actually how much of a different route one trust has gone um, and it's again a digital system doesn't necessarily change the process it's it's just a facilitator it's interesting kind of you guys talking about this I mean I'm no by means any kind of digital expert like I learn from you guys I learn from all the people that I speak to but I've been speaking to a couple of people recently especially with the move to the ICSs um, and kind of I think I was speaking to one person in particular today like the you know the ICS that they were working with they were looking to work on a shared EPR but obviously the different types of trust and how that's going to work um, and I actually did a podcast last week with um, some CIOs across the Yorkshire patch and they were taught one of the questions was to do with EPR and um, convergence across kind of like the Yorkshire patch and it sounds like there's again there's a bit of an overlap between what you guys are saying and what they were talking on the podcast so it'll be interesting to see especially like you know the ICS has been formed kind of what happens kind of moving forward so yeah. um, 
Fab. All right, we'll move on to question number five then. Um, again, another um, more kind of like digital um, transformation one rather than EPR. Um, so question five was, does the lack of interoperability or one solution hinder digital transformation? Um, so Salman, we'll come around to you first on, on this one. Um, yes, it can do, unfortunately, um, you know, for all of its uses. And, you know, every time we're saying, oh, yeah, technology, 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 it can, uh, you know, the, the lack of inter interoperability can definitely hinder um, digital adoption. Uh, and this is really about where the boundaries for each organisation are and then how the information is passed from one organisation to another. For example, going from our trusts out to the community because the community have different systems. And if there is no interoperability or no mechanism for interoperability between our system and their system, then yeah, that, that digital transformation isn't going to happen um, across that boundary. And that will not only hinder transformation, it will hinder the provision of care because then we're going back to a situation where one organisation needs information and the only way we can get it to them is manually by either posting it to them uh, using snail mail or scanning it and sending it via email or asking somebody to volunteer jump on their bike and pedal down the road and, and give it to them personally so these things take time so it, it, it yeah it, that lack of interoperability and the, the lack of a single solution definitely can hinder digital transformation and that's Thanks, my answer Sal in a nutshell. <laughs> Thank you, Salman. Um, Karen, to you next. I'm trying to think what I can add to that. I mean, I <laughs> certainly would say that, um, again, it's trying to um, find out if that, um, that one solution um, can give you the answer that you want. Um, and if it doesn't, how do you um, get these systems to talk to each other? Um, for some uh, some staff groups, they they think, oh, it's it's an IT system. It's going to solve absolutely everything, and don't necessarily understand the elements of uh, of planning and building and and just trying to get those messages to to talk to the right systems, but also to to convey the right information. Um, and certainly from a pathology point of view, we need to make sure that actually what we send out um, still conveys the same meaning because it does get broken down into different chunks. And actually, there are some places where we think I, I have no clue how this looks to the end user who is asked for it. And that could be the same for any other bit of information that's being asked for. Um, and, and maybe that's why we rely on old mechanisms of communication so that we know exactly what it is that that goes out um and and there are some things that it just hasn't either been built to do or um you know it's not part of the the um current process of being able to do again once it's an it system everybody wants it to be all singing all dancing um and uh, it's it is interesting when they say actually no it can't do that um and then i think some case in some cases they lose faith in the idea of doing anything further Perfect. Thanks, Karen. And then a speed round to you. 
Yeah, not a lot to add to what Karen and Salman have just already said, to be honest. But I think, you know, one of the things that we do come across from a back office perspective is that, you know, like it does, the interoperability does get missed when people are looking for solutions. So, you know, like they, they're not, you know, you might have an IT system that needs to talk to another IT system before it actually talks to EPR. So there might be two or three different systems that need to talk to each other before those messages get relayed back to EPR and you've got devices that are sat between those systems as well. So it, it's really difficult making sure that before people have actually thought about a digital solution, that they've thought about every single IT system that they've used within the department um, that needs to talk to each other before they actually start talking to EPR. So it's about seeing the bigger picture rather than just thinking about we need these, we need these, this in EPR. Uh, and so an IT so it's one IT piece of kit will will do everything. Um, and it's the hardware that's involved as well. Sometimes you might you might have legacy hardware that's really redundant as well. So it's just about thinking about the bigger picture before um, requests come through, I guess. Bob, thanks, Josephine. Again, anyone else want to add anything to that one before we move on to the final question of the podcast? No, okay. So question number six is, um, it's quite short and snappy, I really like it. So I think it finishes up really well. Um, so it's best of breed versus integrated, why? So Salman, I'm gonna come round to you first because this is your question. So if you wanna give us a bit of a bit of an insight. Me again, okay. Um, <laughs> but let's see, I, I, I'll answer this in a way that gives Karen and Asphine an opportunity to add more to it as well. But the the reason I've asked this is because I, I've, I've had a few barriers recently and it's got me up thinking, well, why why did we go in this particular avenue? Because if you, you go down one particular avenue, <clears throat> then, OK, I mean, I'm going to have to be a bit more specific. Best of breed systems don't tend to play nicely with each other. They're, they're closed ecosystems. Now that's all well and good when you're in a speciality and you really need every aspect of your work digitized. And for somebody to develop uh, an application that really provides absolutely everything you need in that speciality, then that is all they are doing and they will protect their system by making it a closed system. So it won't play well with with uh, anybody else, it, you know, getting in external information in and getting information to the rest of the world is going to prove very difficult. Um, uh, now, this is before Emma's time, but many, many years ago, I was on a, um, an iPhone 3, uh, probably before uh, Aaron's time as well. But I had an iPhone 3 and after a couple of years, I moved on to an Android. And I kid you not, it took me about a, a week to get all of my data off the iPhone 3 onto the Android Android phone because Apple is a closed ecosystem. They don't like to play with non-Apple devices. Now it's a lot easier you know, because the Apple are responding to uh, the consumer demand and, and the environment. Uh, and that's really where best of breed EPRs are. They're, they're closed ecosystems. They really don't like playing with other systems. Whereas an integrated system will do exactly that. It will slide into and integrate with all of your existing systems. It, 
it has what we call open APIs. So it's easy to get information in, it's easy to get information out. Um, but it, you know, which one should you go for? Well, I think the larger the organization, the more likely you are to need an integrated solution so that you can facilitate and enable the flow of information between systems. And the smaller your organization, then, you know, you could get away with the best of breed. Fab, thank you, Salman, for that little bit of um, background. Um, Asfin, do you want to go next on this one? No, can do. I agree with Salman, to be honest. In like, um, we, we see this issue a lot with um, departments that use their own best of breed system. You might have got, let's use cardiology as an example, and neurophysiology, they've got their own little ecosystems of IT bits of hardware. They've got lots of different devices that we only talk to one system and that's it. So, you know, like you've got records and patient demographics that are different. And in, within one department, you might have three systems that have got three different records for a patient. And like, and it's about that's because they've gone best of breed. They've got three systems that talk to three different analyzers rather than going for an integrated system where it can talk to many different uh, devices and then integrate that those devices back into EPR um, and, and then you've got one source of truth whereas with best of breed systems you've got as however many systems you've got you've got all, all of them sources of truth haven't you um, and like like Salman's saying like you've got bits of inf information where if you try to send it on and move it from like from one system to another it might take you an age actually figuring out how to do it. So it's 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 a no-brainer for me. I think going to, to a single EPR was the right thing to do. But then the flip side to that is sometimes if you've got a large co cooperation that's provided with you, provided an EPR to a large organisation, it's about them tying you into almost buying some of their own products, um, and and that kind of holds you back as well. So you might you might end up buying a product that's been sold by the, the your system supplier that might not actually do um, and have the more functionality than another system that you could integrate into your EPR. So I think that's that's the route we've gone down with pathology and radiology, where we've actually chosen integrated systems that are separate from EPR, but then integrated them into EPR. So your Audicom solutions are still there. And you don't you, you don't lose that functionality in the in the EPR system, but then you've also got the best of breed that's integrated into EPR. Whereas if you just went for a best of breed, you'd have lots of different systems, wouldn't you? Thanks, Asfine. And then Karen, round to you for the very final say on the very last question of the podcast. <laughs> no pressure. Um, oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, Asfine's well, taken my example of. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, within pathology to some extent, we've got a best of breed in the fact that we have a laboratory information system. Um, it's not the one that's designed by the um, the same the EPR system. Obviously, the fact that um, as the EPR systems get bigger and want to look at different areas, I think there will be development of those um, specific modules that do capture all that relevant information for those different areas um and uh, and they they have got a pathology module um but you know within 
the that specific area there there is information that you need in order to um make that uh system function or the the processes function the i suppose say the rest of uh the the trust or the world doesn't necessarily need to know this kind of our you know our inner workings that um and the best of breed would work well with that um but i think um the design i guess the evolution of epr systems will um change to incorporate either just that connectivity of you know can we have set links or summaries or the the relevant information and again trying to maintain one source of the truth um and as that design gets better then you may um just see the fact that you've got these different uh, uh modules that all get bolted on so that you've, you've almost got a hybrid system in the future um as to the which is best, again, I think it depends on your your point of view. If you work in a specialty and you want all the whistles and bells, then you're going to go for your best of breed. But if you're um, a person in the middle that's just sort of wanting that general overview, then obviously you're going to want to have your integrated system to capture uh, as much information as possible. Fab, thanks, Karen. Anybody else final points before we close off the podcast? No, I think the uh, the EPR sort of um, domain is huge, and there is so much to be discussed and considered. But I think both Karen and Asfine have hit the nail on the head by saying it's about getting that that single source of truth, you know, which can then be reliably shared across departments, organisations, colleagues. You know, that, that that's all critical, uh, and that's the uh, the. The bottom line of EPRs is uh, you know, uh, getting accurate information from that single source of truth. Great. All right. Well, thank you very much, everybody. Um, I've had a lovely evening. 